Today on Blue 58, the Packers get a chance at some late-season revenge this week while trying to stay in the hunt for a playoff spot. How did they get it done against the Minnesota Vikings? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. A couple things up top. First, I do want to apologize for the somewhat unusual release schedule this week and the last couple of weeks. This week was operator error. It was supposed to go out on Monday. For whatever reason, it did not go through upload-wise. And being off of work and doing other things around the house, I did not get a chance to check in. It it did not go through. I thought it did. It did not go through. So we, we dropped two episodes on Wednesday. Here we are on Friday afternoon getting the preview episode out. This was not the plan. This is how things worked out. Things should be back to normal after this week. The second thing, our charity drive is coming to an end. By the time this goes out, you'll have a little bit more than 24 hours to get your donations in. So if you are interested in participating in that, there is a link in the show description or at thepowersweep.com. That should get you all the information you need. We've raised well over $1,000 total, uh, split between the four charities that we're supporting this year. Really appreciate everybody who's donated. If you would like to be a part of it, go ahead and uh, participate here before the end of, well, the end of 2022. And we are here for the last time in the year of 2022. It's been a great year so far, and I hope the the last couple days treat you well. Okay, the Minnesota Vikings, week 17. If you're a Patreon supporter, you received my weekly picks column this week, and I kind of like to repeat what I said there here. What else could you want? In week 17. I know it's fun for the Packers to really just be like wire-to-wire dominant. It would be great if we were sitting at 15-0 and right now. But from an entertainment standpoint, what else do you really want here in the last two weeks of the season? The Packers are in the hunt for a playoff spot. The Packers have a chance to get revenge for one of their worst outings of the season. They have a chance to beat a divisional rival and keep them from getting what they want as they try to hunt for the top seed in the playoffs. What else could you really be hoping for? Yes, the Packers still need some help, but they basically control their own destiny. They've just got to keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. They're halfway through that four-game run that they needed to make it to the playoffs, along with some help. I, I don't know what else you ask for. This is about as entertaining as it can get. Rivalry game, at home, cold weather, for something significant in January. That's a pretty good football game to me. And I kind of want to return to something that we opened the season with long, long time ago. My stance heading into week one was we really didn't know anything about either of these two teams. We've gotten to know the Packers pretty well in the intervening, what is it, 16 weeks now? But I wonder what we know about the Vikings now at this point. Because heading into week one, new coach, new defensive coordinator, a bunch of new new faces, including Zedaria Smith on their defense. What What are these guys? And just by way of extension, how do we preview this game? I think through three major questions. What are the Vikings? What are the Packers? In what ways are the Packers different from week one? And what do the Packers need to do to beat the Vikings? So that first question, what are the Vikings now? First and foremost, they're familiar. The big names are not new or different, really, in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins 
is still the quarterback. He's having a bit of a down year by his standards, if you look at the numbers. He's been less efficient than usual. He's taking more sacks. He's throwing more interception. His average yards per attempt are down. The differences aren't that significant. I think it's mostly just the results that are a little bit different. It it looks like he's going about his business in largely the same way, except his average depth of target is down by about half a yard over last year. I don't know how significant that is, but in the scope of a lot of his numbers being down, that is just another one that is down a little bit too. Justin Jefferson, the great wide receiver, what else do you say? In a just world, he'd be a member of the Green Bay Packers. They'd have traded up and gotten him instead of Jordan Love in 2020. And honestly, I think if if they'd have him on their roster these past two years, we'd have one more Super Bowl trophy in the Packers trophy case. Now, as we've said since the beginning, if the Jordan Love moves works out, you know, it's going to set up the Packers for another decade of being contenders every year. But if they'd had a guy like Justin Jefferson 2020 to present, the team in the short term would have been a lot different too. Jefferson, bringing it back to the present, has been on a tear lately, and I'm not just talking about the past three years, but over the last three weeks, 35 catches, 479 yards, and two touchdowns. Over his last five games, 51 catches, 663 yards, and four touchdowns. That would put him tied for second, second overall, and fourth on the Packers in each of those categories for the season. He'd be second on the team in catches, tied for second in catches, second on the team outright in yards, and fourth on the team in touchdowns if he only contributed his last five weeks to the statistical totals. Incredible. He's a great player. Dalvin Cook, still a good running back, maybe slowing down a little bit. He's putting up career lows in yards per attempt this year as well as yards per game, but his career lows are 4.5 yards per carry and 73.9 yards per game. He's still cranking up good production. He has been less involved in the passing game this year than previously, just 36 catches for 278 yards, but they've got other ways to move the ball through the air, namely Justin Jefferson and, as we'll talk about in a little bit, TJ Hawkinson. Their pass rushers, still good. They still have a a, a good pass rush in Minnesota. Daniil Hunter and Zedarius Smith both have 10 or more sacks. Harrison Smith on the back end may be losing a step. He is near his career lows lows across the board in pro football focus grading. He's still a highly intelligent football player, still sixth on the team in defensive snaps, has five interceptions this year, 10 passes defensed. What is a down year anyway when you're a player of his caliber? And finally, Eric Kendricks. He's got his second worst year of his career going in coverage, according to Pro Football Focus, but he's still going to be a reliable player out there on every play, 1,000-plus snaps again for him. It's, it's the same Vikings team that we've seen for a long time. But much like they were under Mike Zimmer, the Vikings are still a pretty vulnerable team under Kevin O'Connell. They're 9-0 and in one-score games this year. And winning a lot of tight games basically amounts to being lucky. I mean, good for you if you can get it, but winning one-score games, especially the way the Vikings have, is not super sustainable. You need a lot of things to go your way. Penalties, recovering fumbles, timely conversions uh, at an unsustainable rate over your your season-long average. The Vikings have gotten all of those things, and good for them for doing that. This is not me, you know not saying they haven't been successful this year because they have. As much as your record can disguise a lot of things, I am still on the side of Bill Parcells saying you are what your record says you are. Even if all the numbers say differently, even if they're saying that you shouldn't be 12 and 3 like the Vikings are, the fact of the matter is the Vikings are 12 and 3. 
And like the Packers in 2019, if you get to 13-3 and despite being frauds, you're only a win away from being in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, you might get dump-trucked by the San Francisco 49ers on the way, but you still get a bye on your way there. And if things go badly, save for the 49ers, shoot. I mean, you could be in the Super Bowl. All it takes is one game of still being lucky, and you're playing for the, the biggest trophy, the shiniest trophy. The trophy everybody's trying to get. So, yeah, it does take a lot of luck, but luck can carry you pretty far, especially in a situation in the NFC playoffs now where there is only one bye. Anyhow, stick, sticking with that vulnerable theme or theme of vulnerability, the Vikings are also 28th in scoring defense. Teams put up points on them. They're giving up 28, 24.8 points per game. They've given up 30 or more points four times, 24 or more points 10 times. For comparison, the Packers, who are not especially known for their defense this year or or really any year, they've only allowed 30 or more points one time and 24 or more points seven times. To be fair, they've allowed between 27 and 29 points six times, but hey, they've got one over on the Vikings in their their point total, I guess. They haven't crossed the 30-point threshold quite as many times as the Vikings have. One more thing on the Vikings. They have been a pretty consistent team this year. Yes, things going their way does factor into that. But a big reason the Vikings have done so well this year is that they've pretty much always put up points. They are consistently scoring points no matter who they're playing. They've scored 20 or more points in all but two games. They've scored 27 or more points in nine games. They've scored 30 or more in four games, including one 39-point game. Even if your defense isn't great, even if you are a pretty vulnerable team in other ways, Scoring a lot of points is a good way to cover up some of those those warts on your team. Now, what about the Packers? We've had 16 weeks of games since we saw the Packers play the Vikings last. How are the Packers' differences? Different. I think we need to sort their differences into three significant categories. Positive differences, negative differences, and differences that are just maybe not positive or negative, but they are different, and we should probably talk about them anyway positive differences. I think you have to start with Christian Watson. We have to remember, even though Christian Watson was out there in week one, even though he did play quite a few snaps, even though he did have the fairly noteworthy drop on the very first play of the game, that he was playing at all in that situation is pretty remarkable because he didn't do anything at all in training camp, really. Knee injury, surgery limited him to very, very small amount of participation in training camp. He did play in week one, but they very clearly had a very small selection of plays for him. That shot play and some end-arounds, short passing sort of stuff was basically the menu for Watson. He has become an entirely different player since then. The Packers have fully integrated him into their offense, and if he can play this weekend, still an if at this point, it's, it's a different offense with him out there. The Packers also have significantly more offensive line stability. Left to right, here was the Packers' starting offensive line in Week 1. Josh Nyman at left tackle, John Runyon Jr. at left guard, Josh Myers at center, Jake Hansen at right guard, and Royce Newman at right tackle. Left to right, here is the Packers' likely starting offensive line in Week 17. David Bakhtiari at left guard or left tackle, Elton Jenkins at left guard, Myers still at center, Runyon at right guard, and hopefully Josh Nyman at right tackle. Now, it's possible we could be see Zach Tom at left tackle or Royce Newman at right tackle or theoretically both. 
it looks like Bakhtiari is probably going to play. If Nyman plays, that's a significantly better offensive line for the Packers than the one they put out there in week one. There is, I think, a fair reading of what the Packers did in week one that says they just kind of punted on that game a little bit because I think they could have pushed it and done some different things. They probably could have had Elton Jenkins out there if they really, really wanted to get maybe risky. Bakhtiari, if you if it was a playoff game, maybe he would have played. Maybe not. But they, they just went with the offensive line that could get them through that game, and it ended up not working, and they were, I think, just fine with that because sometimes you lose games early in the season. I think the defense was the bigger problem there, though the offense certainly didn't do them do them any favors in, in week one. The Packers are also different in what they're getting from A.J. AJ Dillon. Uh, we've established previously that Dillon's success is very strongly correlated to what the offensive line is doing. As the offensive line has gotten better, he's been better. First eight games of the season, he averaged 4.1 per carry on 87 carries, scored just one touchdown, also had 14 catches for 89 yards. It's not a big difference, but he's averaged 4.37 per carry over the last seven games, uh, piling up 341 yards on 78 carries. He's also scored five touchdowns. Interestingly, he's had 14 catches for 117 yards during that time as well. The Packers have gotten him a little bit more effectively involved in the passing game. Worth noting that most of his explosive plays have come in the second half of the season. Six of his eight have come after week nine, and I only only have his explosive play totals updated through week 13, but he's been a much more dynamic contributor pretty much any way you slice it in the second half of the season. It's, It's a significant difference. Aaron Rodgers as well, I think, has played better in the second half. A big reason why? His time to throw. Six of his top nine games in terms of the amount of time he's had to throw or his average time to throw, according to Pro Football Focus, have come since week nine. All of his top five games have been since week nine. The Packers' offensive line has gotten healthy. Aaron Rodgers has played better. He's had more time to throw, and he's been better as he's been throwing. Look at his EPA numbers, expected points added per play. Weeks one one through eight, he was negative per play, slightly below average, but still below average. Weeks nine through 16, positive on a per-play basis, almost an entire point better per play. He's been much, much better. He's It still hasn't been great by his standards, but adding value per play is a big change from where he was. Every Aaron Rodgers drop back was hurting the Packers' offense weeks one through eight. Since, nine, since week nine, he's been helpful every time he's dropped back. And finally, Keyshawn Nixon, I think, is a significantly significant difference for the Packers since week one. Call him Mr. Field position. He has gotten the Packers into to great field position on a consistent basis week in and week out. He is dangerous every time he touches the ball. Not having him in this game would be a big problem, but if he's out there, it changes the entire pr- approach for your opposing team uh, on special teams. Excellent, excellent work by Nixon since taking over for Amari Rodgers far too late in the season. Not all the differences are positive. The big screaming obvious one is Rashawn Gary. And really, I looked all throughout the roster. I looked how different things are for the Packers. He's really the only negative difference between now and week one, at least as far as how the Packers match up against the Vikings. He had five pressures on 27 pass rushes in week one, above his season rate, though his season rate is still very good, but that's a pressure rate of almost 19%. He had a great week. He didn't 
ultimately, I don't believe, I, I should look this up, but I don't believe he actually had a sack, but even if he did, it was just part of his overall pressure package. He, he had a great game. He was very noticeable disrupting the Vikings passing game. Not having him out there is a problem. J.J. Nagbari has come a long way. He's not Rashawn Gary. Preston Smith is having a good season. He too is not Rashawn Gary. And I think both of those guys would, would say that. Uh, they, they understand where they are as, a, as players and they understand what Rashawn Gary is as a player too. But that's a big loss for the Packers relative to where they were in week one. Some other differences, you decide for yourself if they're negative or positive. Packers aren't going to have Eric Stokes out there. I don't know if that's a negative or positive. He was not having a great season. He especially was not great in week one. Packers also will not have Sammy Watkins out there. That is probably addition by subtraction. Devontae Wyatt is going to be playing a much bigger role than he played in week week one. Had just 12 snaps in that game. I would wager most of those were after the game was was already well in hand for Minnesota. They just tried to get him out there a little bit. He is going to play a significantly bigger role this week due to Dean Lowry being on injured reserve. They're just going to have to have him out there because they're not going to jump straight to Jonathan Ford. And finally, Darnell Savage is playing a much smaller role on the Packers' defense. Even stepping in last week, his role was smaller than usual, uh, despite uh, taking over for Rudy Ford, who got benched mid-game. He played every snap in Week 1, and the Vikings were well aware of that fact because they were able to find him on a pretty consistent basis. He His role being smaller is a significant plus for the Packers. So looking at where the Packers are, looking at what the Vikings are, what do the Packers have to do to win? First, I think they have to avoid getting in their own way. A number of things fall into the category. Call them a self-own. An own goal, if you come off the World Cup coverage. A number of things. Red zone efficiency has to be better. Uh, They all but laid down for the Dolphins in the red zone a few times. Coming away with just two touchdowns on five trips should be a game killer in most situations. The Packers could have been near 40 points if they were... Uh, as efficient in the red zone as they could have been. They've got to avoid turnovers. Against teams that can score in bunches, turning the ball over puts you behind possession-wise in ways that you may not be able to make up. Even if the Vikings have a below-average game on offense, just giving them more shots to score is probably not going to work out for you particularly well. And finally, coverage busts. We saw it against the Dolphins, and we sure saw it against the Vikings in Week 1. If you screw it up in coverage, it could be fatal. All three of those things were issues against the Dolphins, and they could prove to be significant issues again against the Vikings. Secondly, I think the Packers have to throw efficiently. The Vikings have, you know, not to try to belabor this point here, they have one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. They are 19th in EPA allowed on dropback passing, 24th from week 9 on. They are 20th in coverage grade by Pro Football Focus. They are 24th by Football Outsiders DVOA metric. They are 32nd in passing yards allowed. Take your pick. That's a pretty bad passing defense. Even with their potentially good pressure from Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, they they do not have correspondingly good results defending the pass. If the Packers can throw efficiently, they are going to move the ball through the air with relative ease against the Vikings. Don't miss on those deep shots. They'll be there, just don't miss. Thirdly, don't allow a weak link on the offense to ruin the offense. And I'm talking specifically about the offensive line here. Having to turn to Zach Tom and Royce Newman at the same time might be too much to bear. 
If you just have Zach Tom at left tackle, you can figure out ways to help him enough that the offensive line can function pretty well. If you just have Royce Newman at right tackle, you can probably function of, function enough to get by. Having just one or the other out there would be preferable. But if both are out there, things could get dicey. Even as good as Zach Tom has been, I think he still needs some help. Royce Newman has not been good. He definitely needs help. In any case, you can't allow a weak link on either side to ruin things on the edges for you. Because the Vikings are certainly going to be aware of who the weak link is out there. I don't really have any worries about the interior line. Josh Myers has not had a particularly great season. They're asking him to do some very challenging things up front at times, but he still, I think, is is not quite in weak link territory. It hasn't been a great season. He is not, I think, as exploitable as someone like Newman or, or potentially Zach Tom just by the nature of the position that he plays. Finally, we've talked a little bit about defense in passing, avoiding coverage busts, things like that. The only thing I would ask from the Packers on defense is to be flexible in defending the pass. In theory, you could put all your resources into stopping Justin Jefferson. That might not work anyway, but you still could. The Vikings do have other options now. For instance, TJ Hawkinson has been pretty good since arriving via trade from Detroit. 52 catches, 444 yards, three touchdowns. Pretty good season in just the, what, seven, eight games he's been there pretty productive. He could mess things up for the Packers if they try too hard to defend Justin Jefferson and forget about him. But what I want to see, whatever the Packers decide to do, is the Packers clearly trying something and then being willing to change if that doesn't work. In week one, we saw too much, well, this is just the approach that we use. And they're beating it, but this is the approach they use, we use, so if they beat it, Well, good job to them. Joe Barry defended that approach. Matt LaFleur defended that approach. I do not understand that line of thinking. If it's not working, it's got to change. This past week, we did hear about Jerry Gray getting up in his defensive backs business, saying we've got to play better, we've got to do X, Y, and Z different. And they played much better in the second half, albeit with a potentially concussed Tua Tagovailoa out there. But, hey, that he played is not the Packers' problem. They can't, whatever they do, be so stuck on what they were trying to do that they can't change. Because as we saw in week one, if the Packers don't change, the Vikings will just keep doing the same thing again and again and again, and Justin Jefferson will be more than happy to keep racking up the yards. They've got to be flexible. They've got to try something. I would love to see them take a big swing and try something different this week, and have Jair Alexander take a shot at shadowing Justin Jefferson everywhere. Wouldn't that be something for a tendency breaker from from Joe Barry? Yes, this is not the approach I prefer. Yes, it's going to cause us to do some, some extra work on defense, but this is what we think is the best approach for shutting down Justin Jefferson, and we're going to try it. I mean... I don't think there's anything that could really get me to ever have a vote of confidence in Joe Barry at this point, but that would at least be a scenario where you can say, all right, he, he's trying something. We're trying to do something different. No more of this. I, I don't know what I want to do to fix the defense kind of approach. The Packers have to try something and be willing to change it. 
being willing to change is, I think, one of the bigger criticisms you can you can throw Joe Barry's way. Maybe being unwilling to change is how I should phrase that. But they've got to be able to adapt to what isn't working. Fix it on the fly. Because the Vikings will throw a bunch of stuff at them. And if they don't figure out a way to get out of the stuff that isn't working, they'll just keep running it up on them. Because that's what they did in week one. I think this is a very winnable game for the Packers. I think there's a reason the Packers are the favorite here. I think they've been close to as good as the Vikings down the stretch. They're putting things together, whatever that means for the 2022 Packers. They're becoming the version of the Packers we hope to see. Maybe a little bit too late, but they're getting there. I think they can win, and I think they will win. Maybe that's a heart pick at this point, but they've been playing better, and I think they can beat this Vikings team. They're vulnerable in ways that the Packers are strong. They've been clicking more on offense. A few stops on that Vikings offense, and you might be one win away of doing everything you could do to get to the playoffs. That would be a heck of a finish the way this season started, and you've got an opportunity to make life difficult for one of your hated divisional opponents while you do it. As we said in the opener, what else could you ask for at this point? That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. Please consider donating to our charity drive. We are running short on time there. I would appreciate it if you would consider donating there. Join us at thepowersweep.com or click the link in the description of this show to uh, get the information you need to donate. I would appreciate that very much. Failing that, enjoy this episode. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.